Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Howard Hendricks, also known as The Prof. For over 50 years, he was a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He mentored many Christian leaders, including Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, Joseph Stowell, and David Jeremiah. Hendricks was a keynote speaker for Promise Keepers, authored 16 books, and ministered in over 80 countries. Listen as Dr. Hendricks continues his discussion on faith and Hebrews chapter 11. He says, no, there's another birth, a birth from above. And without that, you'll never make it. Now, some of you have had experience with this firsthand, I'm quite convinced. Let's suppose that I go down to a Ford dealer here in Dallas and try to make a deal on a new car, and finally we come to terms. And we start filling out the papers, and he says, uh, okay, where do you work? Well, I work at the Dallas Theological Seminary. The what? Spell it. So we spell it out. How much do you make? So much. Is this a regular salary? Well, I think to be intellectually honest with you, sir, I should tell you that we have a policy at the seminary called the faith principle. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Let me explain it to you. If the money comes in, we get paid. And if it doesn't come in, we don't get paid. Right. And run it by again. Sure, it's very simple. If the money comes in, we get paid. If it doesn't come in, we don't get paid. <laughs> he says, come here a minute. So we go over to the window. He says, hey, you see that Chevrolet dealer down the street? I bet you could make you a good deal. <laughs> because as far as he's concerned, I am moronic. And some of you have tried to explain this to a roommate. My son led his roommate to Jesus Christ about four or five weeks ago now. And before he went home, they did a lot of praying. And he lives in Ohio, and when he, he got home, he shared the gospel with his parents. And what a very interesting reaction he got. So he calls my son Bill on the phone. He says, hey, Bill, <laughs> let me tell you what happened. Bill and I had already been discussing this. You could almost call the shots. You what? Man, that's not what we sent you up there for. Faith? Nah. You know, get realistic. Because to the unregenerate, my friend, it is foolishness. When he comes to faith, you know, he says, hey, how come you didn't tell me about this? You know, you've been telling him all along. But you see, he doesn't have the equipment with which to understand. Every now and then I have a student come up to me and say, hey, prof, would you explain this passage? Or would you explain this problem? And I say, well, frankly, I'll, I'll give you what I know about it, but that's not an explanation of it. What do you mean? You, you don't understand it? No. 
You don't understand it? Uh-uh. How come you're teaching in a seminary? <laughs> you know, well, what do you think they're paying you for down there? Oh, they're paying me for all kinds of things. Especially for a whole lot that I don't know. You don't understand it? I say, no. Does that really bother you? Does it really bother you that as a finite person, I cannot fully explain an infinite God? Does that really bug you? My friend, if I could, it would be a greater problem. <laughs> then I wouldn't need God. And it doesn't tear me up at all to know that there are many things as a finite man limited to space and time. I cannot fully explain to you on the basis of an infinite mind. That's where faith comes in. That even though I cannot explain it, I believe it on the basis of the object of my faith. See, never tell a person to believe Friend, the atheists believe. The Buddhists believe. The intellectual believes, usually in the power of his puny mind. The problem is the object of your belief. Suppose I go out here to Love Field and I decide, boy, I've got to get to Chicago. Maybe I could go there a little cheaper than American or Branagh. And so... I go looking for somebody and I finally find a guy running around in a field and I say, hey friend, could you do me a favor? He says, sure, if I can, what do you want? Would you fly me to Chicago? Chicago. Where's Chicago? Well, it's north and a little east of here. Sure. Glad to fly you there. So we go over to what's supposed to be a plane. And I look at the thing and the fuselage is held together with baling wire. Half of the tail assembly's gone. Only a portion of the prop. One wing. <laughs> I say, uh, you have been up before, haven't you? No, he says, as a matter of fact, I've never been up, but I'm fascinated by flying. Hop in. <laughs> Friend, if I get in that, that is not faith. That's foolishness because the object of my faith is worthless. The only thing that gives your faith tonight any credibility, any reality, any substance is the fact that it is placed in the living God who is infinite, who was never instructed, who never made a mistake. Now, our problem is even when we're committed to this type of thing, we function as if we were only living, living on this level. Now I've often asked myself, what's the difference between myself and my next door neighbor? He's a guy I'm just in the process of cultivating for Jesus Christ and they're in a Christmas vacation. We got a couple more exposures. And I talk to him about spiritual things and he's a very fine gentleman. But, you know, <laughs> thanks, but that's obviously for you, but I don't need it type of thing. What's the difference between us? Well, I'll tell you what bugs me about my neighbor. 
It's not the fact that he lives for his boat. He just got a brand new one. You should see it. What a toy. It's not for his wall-to-wall -wall carpeting and coordinated drapes and Duncan Fife furniture and all of the rest of the junk he's got under one mortgage. <laughs> it's not for the fact that his wife buys all of her clothes at Neiman Markup. <laughs> you know what bugs me most about my neighbor? tell you. I find myself living for the same things he's living for. And I'm planning on an altogether different destination. Because the last statement he made to me was, look, if that means I go to hell, that's where I'm going. See, I'm planning on an altogether different destination. But the real question is, how do I live? To what extent does the realm of the spirit control the realm of my senses? You see, there is a sixth sense, John Wesley said so accurately. The sense of the spirit. It's not that the Christian believes less, he believes more. It's not that he ignores facts, he introduces facts. The fact of revelation. The fact of human limitation. The Christian life is not irrational, it is supra-rational. Now the interesting thing in this passage is that we usually consider faith as needing evidence. The writer to the Hebrews says, faith is evidence. And that's why you have often heard it said, in the spiritual realm, believing is seeing. Rather than seeing is believing. Now, look at verse 2 to find out how he relates this truth, this principle, to practice. He does it in two ways. He does it, first of all, by going back into history, and then he tells them how it relates to their present experience. In verse 2, For therein the elders had witness born unto them. In other words, the elders were approved. How? By faith. They hacked it. They made it with God. By faith. Now, you know, this is a tremendous encouragement to me. I don't know about you. But every time I study this chapter, and as we go through it again, we're going to see it frontally. This chapter is filled with men who lie, with men who cheated, with prostitutes, with drunks, with failures, with people with all kinds of hang-ups. But the one thing that approved them before God was that they were men and women of faith. These aren't super saints. They're ordinary men and women who lived extraordinary lives with one component, the component of the supernatural, of the spiritual. 
May I say to you very frontally that I am very concerned about a lot of public ministry. Because, my friends, it is possible to be eminently successful with men and to be a total wipeout with God. See, God is not impressed with the things that impress us. I had a student come to see me some time ago. He said, Prof, something's lacking on the inside. He said, I got a ministry. He said, I'm perfectly honest when I say, humanly speaking, externally, it has never been more successful. We're seeing a steady stream of people come to know the Savior. We are seeing people grow through the, grow through the ministry of the Word. We're seeing the thing expand, take on new dimensions. But he said, I'm a failure. And everybody keeps telling me what a success I am. And I can no longer delude myself. You say, is that possible? My friend, Christian experience is strewn with the wreckage and debris of men and women who have been eminently successful before men. But a total failure before God. And every time you do anything, no matter what the results are, in the energy of the flesh, that is a wipeout. That will have disapproved, stamped all over it by God. And every time you do anything, take the slightest step by faith, no matter what the results are in human experience, that God will honor through all eternity. By the way, how are you living? See, faith is not figuring out what God can do without embarrassment. Faith is trusting God for his specialty. That's the impossible. What are you trusting God for this next year that only God can do? So that when he does it, you'll never be able to say, boy, did we ever pull this one off? I think the greatest testimony to Explo 72, and I'm sure Paul Eshelman filled you in on many of the details, and there's so much more that's gone on behind the scenes. It seems almost every month they pick up another fresh insight as to what God did. In fact, I encountered a stewardess flying from Dallas to San Francisco some time ago. She sat down next to me, and I engaged her in conversation, and, and then I turned things to spiritual things, and I pulled out a little four-law booklet, and she smiled and she said, you know, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior recently. I said, really? Wonderful. Tell me how it happened. She said, a gal got on this plane coming back from Explo 72. And she shared the gospel with me. And you know, I happen to believe that in eternity, we're going to get story after story of things that went on behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about. But if these men were to give you the story as it happened in fact, they would tell you there is only one explanation. And that's the miraculous. God did it. And God will not share his glory with another. When I entered the ministry, I was so fortunate there were men who built into my life with great significance 
they marked me at a very formative stage. And one was an elderly Presbyterian, Scotch Presbyterian minister. And I'll never forget this dear brother praying over me. I mean leaning clean over top of me. And when I got up from my knees one day, he looked me in the eye and he said, Son, lie low and exalt Jesus Christ. Because you cannot exalt yourself and the Savior at the same time. You're going to have to make up your mind who's going to get the credit. And one of the great delusions of the enemy, and it's right here tonight because he works at this overtime, is to implant in the minds of many of you kids that really you'll never amount to anything. I mean, you know, they're great big leaders and they're guys that walk up on a platform, you know, these are the biggies. But, you know, little old me. <laughs> you know, I think he works, I really think he works 36 hours a day communicating this kind of garbage to Christians. My Bible doesn't say a blessed thing about success. But it says a whole lot about faithfulness. It is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. You know what that means? Full of faith. And whether you're writing an exam or folding the giveaway that you're going to put out for your college life or whatever you're doing, you do it in faith, trusting God. There are many people who have come up and who have said to me, boy, you just don't know what you've meant to me. And by the way, many times people I've never met in my life, they heard me on a tape, film, you know, or in an audience like this that I never have the privilege of getting to know. So I'd just like you to know how much I appreciate your ministry. And God has really used you in my life. But every now and then, not too often, every now and then, I will have someone come up after a meeting and they will say to me, Sir, thank you very much. Would you do me a favor? If I can, I'd be delighted to. Would you please express, express to your wife and to your children my deep appreciation for making it possible for you to be here. Did you hear what they said? See, we are in the process of glorifying the guy in public. God isn't. There's only one reason I function in public, my friend, and that's because God has given me gifts with which to function in, in public, and if he takes his hand off me, tomorrow I'm dead as far as ministry, as far as usefulness. But I have a wife. A wife of 25 years, and there's only one reason, humanly speaking, why I'm still in the ministry. And it's that woman. And most people have never met her. Don't even know her name. Because while I'm talking to you, I know from years of experience, she's undergirding my ministry in prayer. 
Or to have one of my boys or gals take me to the airport and before I walk out say, Hey, Dad, give me the details. Where are you going? What are you doing? We want to pray for you. Or as a gal said to me tonight, I understand you are not too feeling too well and some of us have been praying for you. See, my friends, that's what the body is all about. And that's why it doesn't function, because we got too many individuals operating in the energy of the flesh, just like the man of the world. Not operating in the spirit so that we can build up one another and get the job done to the greater glory of our God. But look at verse 3, and you can't miss this one. By faith, we understand. They were approved, and we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God, so that what hath been seen hath not been made out of things which appear. Is faith outmoded, outdated? Is it obsolete? No. It's the only way by which you understand the meaning of the world and the time periods through which it is passing. I'm sure you have read the words of brilliant men. Perhaps you have studied under them and you were absolutely dazzled by the sheer, unadulterated knowledge of this individual. And if he is a true scholar, oftentimes he will say to you, these are the facts. But I really cannot come up with an adequate explanation as to the meaning. Or if he does, it is usually on the basis of the purely animal, the purely human, the best that a man can produce apart from revelation. You say, do you mean that you don't use scientific knowledge? On the contrary, you use it, you recognize its limitations. Science has the latest word, but not the last word. This passage says the only way that you will understand what life is all about is through the medium of revelation and stretching yourself out upon it. This is what made these men distinctive. Elisha was residing at Dothan his servant awakened early one morning, went out, and saw what to him was a horrible sight. Countryside was covered with the invading Syrian army. And he rushes back in to tell his master, who comes out, takes one look, and says, look, those that are for us are greater than those that are for them. And I can see this poor servant saying, boy, you didn't open your eyes this morning. You need another cup. Take a look. And then Elisha makes a very significant statement. He says, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. What was his problem? Did he see too much? No, he saw too little. He's just like the majority of men who went up there at Kadesh Barnea. They saw the giants and grasshoppers. And I suppose if Walter Cronkite or some newscaster were on hand at the occasion to interview Joshua and Caleb, he'd say, hey, uh, have you guys seen those giants? 
You better believe it. Texas variety. See, I don't think Joshua said, Giants, I don't see any giants. Caleb, do you? Where are they? I think he saw with 20-20 vision. And I think if you would ask him, are you one of the grasshoppers? That's right. God's grasshoppers reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> the only thing that distinguished these two men is that they saw God. By the way, what do you see tonight? Oh, Professor Hendricks, you, you should see the school we come from. Whew. Oh, boy, we got giants down there. And besides, we're, we're just a collection of God's grasshoppers. <laughs> Three of us. Three of you? You mean you got three on that campus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't think we'll make it, will we? My son is a student at Harvard University. And he told me during his Christmas vacation some stories of what God is doing on that campus through just the smallest handful of guys committed to Jesus Christ. It is so excited. I said, Bill, tell me some more. And I can still remember when some people would ask me, where's your son going? And I told them, you know, they didn't whether to congratulate me or give me condolences. You mean, you're going to let him go up there? <laughs> Instead of to Wheaties College? <laughs> Talking to a lady some time ago, she said, Oh, I understand you're interested in archaeology. The guy said, it's fascinating. One dirty dig after another. Oh, she said, I'm, I'm scared to death of it. I'm afraid I'm going to find something over there that'll disprove our faith. I said, well, it's wonderful to have a substantial faith, lady. <laughs> and the only thing that marks any two individuals sitting in this room is the size of your God. It isn't that your group is too small, it's that your God is too small. You know what I'm praying? Just one very little simple prayer. I borrowed it from my friend Elisha. That God will open your peepers. That when you come out at the end of this thing, man, the size of your God will loom so large that you will dare to believe him for what he specializes in. That's the impossible. Father, we pray that during these days the Spirit of God may open us in terms of your truth. Father, many of us have been spending so much time immersing our minds and hearts with the thoughts of the world and men that we frankly have developed a jaundiced and distorted perspective. And we need now and then to set our bearings and to get our goals clear and to know what exactly is involved in the divine process. Lord, I not only pray for these, my 
brothers and sisters in Christ, but I pray so much for myself. That as we come to this portion of the word, that you will open our eyes, that we might see who you really are, and then that we may go back different because of the exposure. We pray believingly, expectantly, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Howard Hendricks. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.